When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe, and this is Best of the Best, where we are going to dissect, analyze, and talk about the greatest, most iconic matches of all time, and we got a great one today. Don, they said it couldn't be done, but this is episode two. <laughs> this is episode two. <laughs> if they'd have seen how long it took us to get on this episode two, every week we have technical problems. We're a couple old guys that, uh, like Stadler and Waldorf, we, we have a hard time getting on Zoom. Who's that? that <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're, yeah you're, I think Costello is more like it. <laughs> I would think so. Which one, I, which one would I be? The heavy set one. That's not nice. That's not nice at all. Hey, which we got one, a great one. Which one, one was that, by the way? Was that Albert? Or Abbott was the fat one, Lou Abbott. I, they, right? they can't say that word, John. <laughs> you know, the other one was a great golfer. He played golf with Babe Ruth. I think Costello did. I think so. Maybe the fat one played. I don't know. You can't say fat. Oh, John, quit saying that. <laughs> Episode two, we're going to get knocked off for, for shaming <laughs> people. What do they call it now? Shaman or shaman or shaman or what? whatever. What are you well, talking I'm, about? I'm a, I'm a shaman. At, uh, You're a shaman. No, you just you just smoke feast pipe. <laughs> You're not a shaman. <laughs> hey, we got a great one today, Mr. Briscoe. Don Eagle versus Gorgeous George, August 31st, 1950. One of the original screw jobs. You know, and I'm glad you said original, one of the originals, because if we say the first, you know, there ain't nothing the first in this business. You know, That's there right. was one somewhere else, you know, but this this is one that was done on TV. And John, it just goes back to what we talk about on, on the best of the best is the political uh, uh, attitude during that era. You know I mean? Uh, there, there were so many different world champions and the promoters, you know, they just formed the NWA. And even after they formed the NWA, half the promoters would, was, was using other people's champions. And that's what the NWA was formed for, to get one wrestling champion, not five or six of them, whatever they had, but one, and that one, you know, you know, after 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 they settled in, after the, the beginning years with Farmer Brown, Orville Brown, and all those other Browns, uh, they chose Lou Fez, and Lou was respected, you know, nationwide, and was you know 
people he was blue was a big athletic guy and nobody wanted to mess with him so he brought that kind of respect also to it but you know then it goes on and the, but this match here uh, don eagle was, was the awa champion not to be confused with the uh current or not the, not the current but the the, the closest one in our our our, our, our lifetime, Vern Gagne's AWA. It was an AWA up in the Boston area that they had their own champion up there, and then of course, but the, the thing that played the big big role in this was TV expansion. Greg Kohler had that Chicago TV. A lot of people wonder why all these big matches, even the one that that we showed previously was out of Chicago and most of, you know, the Comiskey parts of Wrigley Field and all that, they were all in Chicago, of course, but it was because of Fred Kohler's TV there and the power that, that they had. I mean, who was it? DeMont that, that had the, uh, that had the, had the TV system. Was that, is that the guy's name? Who's that? DeMont. DeMont. Yeah. DeMont had the, the whole TV system, like uh, TBS. Yes. Yeah. It was just like it was a the first superstation we're saying first. That's right. And when we will get our hand slapped for saying first again, but it was the first superstation that, that come along. So all the wrestling talent was just like TV. All the wrestling talent wanted to come to Chicago and be on that Chicago TV and get that rub. Well, Kohler kind of played it down. Remember, he, he was a member of the NWA, but he worked with uh, Al Half up in Boston. He worked with the uh, Swartz guy that was and Boston also, he worked with several different promoters around and that, that's what was upsetting. And I think Kohler was the president. Yeah. Could be wrong on that at one time. Yeah, the shop was the guy who uh, was with Half up in Boston, who was moving into Chicago. So it was really an outlaw moving into a territory. The thing was shop ended up getting ABC TV and so the NWA then said it's an open territory because the guy had TV. It's a pretty rotten thing to do because you know, they, they, really said they would always stick up for, for their guys. They didn't stick up for him. And they said, you got TV, so we're going to allow you to be NWA also. And, and, and that's strictly because of TV. Once again, it shows you that our business was, was built on TV. And, and, and as, as you, you'll probably bring it up, you know, Gordon's Dord and, and Milton Burl, if it hadn't been for those two, we probably wouldn't be doing this kind of stuff right now. <laughs> that's so, right. They called him Georgie sets. Uh, he sold so many sets. He's, he's claimed he sold more sets than uh, Milton Burl. In fact, one of your uh, neighbors down there in uh, Tampa, uh, John Capuya, or Kapoya, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, yes. wrote this great book on uh, Gorgeous George, and a lot of information came out of that. He's a, he was a retired uh, professor down there at uh, Tampa University. At University of Tampa, yes. Yes, he was. And we both tried to reach out to the guy, and he's retired, and he, he's not taking any phone calls now. He missed his opportunity of fame. Of huge fame. That's right, huge fame. John could have we been could probably sell the another thousand books for him. We probably will. He'll probably wonder what did i'm getting a spike in these books for but hold we that book cover up there again let's give him his due because um, we we did steal a lot of information from him we did it's a terrific book uh on gorgeous georgie wrote we sold a ton of books for brian blair and we're still selling books from brian blair and he wanted him to take me to a free lunch and he, he no, just he's had really cheap. and i'm not wanting for a free lunch you know that's awful awful uh back surgery was awful <laughs> You know, one of the original screw jobs, one thing, a commonality of this was Toots Mott. 
So there was the Gold Dust Trio back in the 1920s. It was Ed Stranger Lewis, uh, San Billy Sandow, and, and Toots Mott were the Gold Dust Trio. And Toots was the one that wanted to bring in uh, sports entertainment into wrestling uh, with Ed Stranger Lewis. Well, they had Wayne Munn, who was this huge six foot seven inch professional football player, really good looking guy, but not a shooter. And they wanted to put the title on him. Well, people that wanted to get at the Gold Dust Trio stuck Stanislaw Sabisco in there at when he was 40 something years old, but a real shooter at 1925 and took the title off of it. No, literally just took the title off of it, which is different from, say, the screw jobs, you know, here. And the other one that you orchestrated in Montreal, uh, because that was a referee. Me. That was a referee turning tur tur on the referee, just kind of double crossing. The yeah, you, you, you're, you're Mr. Screwjob. Well, uh, uh, I, I, well, I learned it all. If, if you follow a little bit of that, hit Fred Kohler. You know who one of his partners were, don't you? Who? Jim Barnett. And no, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. That's that right. yes. Ring a bell? I mean, <laughs> and so maybe I picked something up from Jim Barnett that I didn't know about, you know, how, how to do these things. But I was in business with Jim Barnett and a screw job happened in, in, in Chicago when he first got in the business. Then later on, another, and he was out of the business. I believe he was, he could still be working for WWF at the time, but I don't think so. Yeah, and this screw job was very similar to, say, the Montreal one because it wasn't a double cross. It wasn't a wrestler just hooking another guy and pinning him. It was. It appears in this, and we'll go through it, that George and Don Eagle both may not have been in on it. It appears that way, and, and you know, uh, there, was, there was nobody come out to win her except for Fred Kohler. That's right. He was the only one that came out the winner of this. So, uh, you know, neither, I don't think either guy, myself, was, was, um, had anything to do with it or even knew it. If we, as we get into it, we can, we can start. There, there were several things during the course of the match that I'm, I want to bring up and have people watch. And, and uh, just, just the, then at the end of it, you know, on the, uh, the, the second fall is the one that really, is really confusing to me on this. Now. Yeah, and they and they edited a lot of it out. It's it's not in any of the old tapes. None, none. We we both searched the internet far and wide, <laughs> and we begged people to to give us information on this thing. And we 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 really appreciate the ones that did reach out to us because yep. there's a couple of articles that that I found and and John John found also that that we couldn't find previously. So. There's a lot of information to go over in the, in this short match, but it's an iconic match, John, because it you know it's something happened that wasn't planned to happen in in our business. That's exactly right. And who all was in on it? I don't think anybody will ever know because the only one that we know for sure was in on it was Fred Kohler and the referee. Exactly. And, and there's and, been accusations that even Don Eagle was in on it, which doesn't make any sense. And George was in on it, which with history looking back doesn't make any sense because he never wore the title. He never wore the title and he never benefited it. He got heat from what I understand you know, through some of the old timers. I was, you know, the great thing about the, the, doing the research that you're making me do on these, on these old things, I'm finding out I'm older than I think I am because you know, hell this happened a long time ago, but I, 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 I start reading uh, some of these guys, common opponents, Jesse James and stuff. 
I was in the ring with these guys when I started a lot of these guys, you know, holy cow. You know, <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, uh, Jack Pfeffer uh, was had something to do with this as well. Jack Pfeffer, you talk about crazy names, was guys, he would make guys' names very similar, like Lou Says instead of Lou Thez. You know, he would have all kinds of uh, names. That hobo, would, hobo Brazil. That's, that's right. Hobo Brazil. That's right. Yeah, and Pfeffer was involved in this too. Pfeffer was one of the first ones to expose the business because he was mad at everybody else. These guys were like little children back then. They were all mad at each other and all trying to steal from each other. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> you think? <laughs> and they, yeah, they talk about their being first in the business. Yeah. <laughs> well, you want to get started, Mr. Briscoe? Yeah, I'm dying to get started. Okay, we'll start on three, two, one, go. Okay. Oh, no, well, don't wait. It would be okay. You gave me instruction. Now I got to get to it. It's been so long since we got there. Now, where, where did you go hide now? And you're at zero, right? So we got 20 minutes hey, to watch John, this. I'm match. at zero. And okay. all of this is wait, on wait, our YouTube wait, channel. I, what do you show on your deal? I show zero, but I also. What, I show zero with the guy in the ring about to announce. Yeah, that's what I show too. And for all those out there, you know, please like and subscribe our YouTube channel. But also on our YouTube channel, we got all of these matches uh, in the playlist, World's Greatest, Most Iconic Matches. So are you ready, Mr. Briscoe? No. Talk <laughs> some more, John. I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one go all right we got gorgeous george coming out hey how great is gorgeous george I, I you know look at the look at the robes you know the story behind the robes he was good friends with bob hope and he went out golfing one time with bob hope and by him and bob hope started talking and uh, bob hope invited him to the studio and uh, and took him back to wardrobe and told him george you need this Really? And Bob Hope for one to turn him on to these, these, these fantastic robes. Human or an awesome piece. Of, I'd never heard that. Well, now you have, man. You know, they must have golfed. You know where they golfed at? Bob Hope used to golf at that uh, golf course right there in the middle of L.A. Nobody was ever in. It was very, very exclusive. So that's where they had to be. I believe it was. And, and they, they were regular golfing mates. And uh, and uh, Bob Hope and them were, were real, real tight friends. But Bob, Bob Hope... So one that really gave him that showbiz look, you know, before he just had the jackets and the stuff like that. And, and I hope took him back to wardrobe and at the, at the, I don't know if it's Universal or Fox or whichever one, whichever one Bob Hope was associated with. They had a bunch of robes in there and, uh, and he said, take your pick. That's awesome. You look at George here. I mean, gorgeous George was George Wagner, grew up in Houston and was a legit tough guy. But he didn't draw a dime until he became Gorgeous George. Well, he didn't get tough in Houston. He got tough when he moved from Nebraska over to Iowa, and he started in, into amateur wrestling a little bit because he was in Iowa, and he didn't want to get beat up all the time. So he started amateur wrestling from them. His folks were so poor that they decided to move out of that that, that, uh, that uh, cornfield and, and move down to Houston, Texas, and they moved down to Houston. Okay, and Don just, Eagle uh, here uh, was uh, with his, if you see him here with the Mohawk, is was, came out with his dad, War Eagle. And War Eagle, War Eagle was a leader. He wasn't actually a chief at the time, but he was he was a leader of the Mohawk Nation. And 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 when and when his son come along, he made him a chief. 
Did you ever run into War Eagle? Because uh, Don Eagle committed suicide, hey, unfortunately. They, I don't I don't know. I never, never ran up. But, uh, you know, the guys they train like that, that's another thing. That, you know, wow, Billy Two Rivers. I, I probably teamed up with Billy Two Rivers because he was a big star in the state of Oklahoma and for Leroy McGurk and, and all throughout the South uh, when I was starting out. And Don Eagle, you look at him here, he was a heck of a baby face, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He, that was the thing about uh, uh, Donnie. He, look, he, he's really young at this time. I think he's in his early 20s now. I, I want to say 20, but I think he was like 21 or 22. He had just come out of a tremendous Golden Glove boxing career. The guy was Golden Cleveland Golden Glove boxer. He's very athletic, and he does some moves in here. He does a handstand to that in the death lock. It will show it'll fall here uh, coming up, but. Uh, he was a, he was a very athletic guy and 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 and, and, and very very personable had had that personality. He had twenty professional fights, right? He had twenty, and I think he won eighteen or nineteen of them. Yeah, something something around that level. Um, had had, no, had twenty fights. I mean, he was he was a legit tough guy. Yeah, and here well, he's Cleveland Golden Glove champion, so he had to be pretty tough there, and. Uh, you see, the, the, you know, the, the match is really not a standout match. It's it's not something, you know, that, that you could see you give, you know, like the rating system, you know, this is a, you know, the top match of, of the night or anything like this. It's a TV match, and, and their TV matches were two out of three falls, as were most matches were back in those days. There. But it's kind of a just a nondescript match until the finishes start talking. Yeah, and, and here's what I here's what gets you about it. You know, you talk about the five star matches and all that stuff, which is great, you know, if you can do a five star match. George drew more money than anybody, and probably inflation adjusted anybody in the history of the business, maybe. I mean, he drew tons of money from forty seven to nineteen fifty four. He was a good wrestler. He didn't wrestle when he drew money. He was gorgeous George. He had the Georgie pins, he had the robes, he had uh, his his valet that came out with him. I mean, he got a lot of heat by not wrestling. Exactly, and then you know, and it was that Hollywood influence there. And as a lot of people know, Muhammad Ali got his his spiel from Gorgeous George. Muhammad Ali copied. Muhammad Ali saw him on TV one time during an interview, and and and, and he said, "I love that guy." We go, and he became he became friends with with, uh, with George. And also, Liberace, Liberace outfits and his attire and his, his walk through the piano all had to do with, uh, with Gorgeous George Jr. So he was a cultural influencer, you know, back in his day. That's what's amazing about it. Where I was just talking to my son Joseph, and he said, you know, professional wrestling doesn't get enough credit for the, the cultural aspect of, of what they brought to the to the country you know, and, well and it was the he, same with uh, james brown he, he credits gorgeous george for his uh, motivation as well you know the story with ali is great ali i think was in his eighth fight in las vegas and he'd heard about gorgeous george and he went to the coliseum to watch it i think it was george versus uh, classy freddie blassie they had sold out the arena and ali had sold like 800 tickets so like 800 to fifteen thousand. And he said when he watched George walk out, he said he knew that was what he wanted to be. And he went back to the dressing room, and George laid out an entire plan for him. 
He said, listen, kid, you got great hands. I know who you are. You're going to be a great champion. He goes, but you got to tell him how pretty you are. You got to tell him how great you are. And he gave Muhammad Ali the blueprint for being Muhammad Ali. And Angelo Dundee, uh, in a later interview, said this almost verbatim, that uh, Ali gave 100% credit to Gordis George for that inspiration. You're exactly right. I looked up that interview myself, and I, and I, I had Al, uh, uh, Dundee on there talking about the influence, the major influence that, that George had on him. So it's, it's, you know, and James Brown, I didn't know about James Brown, but I can see the, 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 the character development that James Brown had also from uh, Gorgeous. Well, you so think Brown, about it, Jerry, you know, like during the Attitude Era, ratings were so high. So we, when you talk to wrestling fans that are a little bit older, they all remember the Attitude Era because everybody watched during that time. You had Stone Cold, The Rock, you had all these great characters, DX, everybody. Stooges. During this time, and, and of course the Stooges, Mr. Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. But during this time, all you had was Milton Berle and Gorgeous George. So George influenced tons and tons of, uh, of a generation of people. Here you see a little action. This what is it here, George. Jerry. Uh, now, okay, uh, uh, what, well, what's this move here? I mean, this is, usually when you apply the Indian death lock, you're applying it with your legs, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. But he applies it with his arms, John, and does an actual handstand for, for the win there. To me, I, I could, my, my legs were so fat and uh, muscular that I never could apply that Indian death lock. And I tried and tried and tried and tried. That was the first finish that Leroy McGurk told me to get. <laughs> and I couldn't use it because my calves were too damn big. And, you know, uh, it, would, it was hurting me more than it was hurting, it was hurting the other guy too, but it was hurting me more. The Indian so death lock, very few people use it now. You know, it's kind of an underneath figure four and you can, you can really work it, uh, work the hold uh, if, you, if you can get it on. If you can get it on, and also, uh, you know, I'll probably be called out on this, but I think Bret Hart's sharpshooter was 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 kind of a deviation from from the Indian Deathlock. It certainly looks like it is, because that's how you hook the Indian uh, Deathlock. I'd never seen it done with a handstand until I saw this tape. Have you ever seen it done with a uh, with the arms and with the handstand? It's kind of like kind of like Charlotte Flair does with the the figure eight now, going off to figure four. No, I have not. That was the first time I'd ever seen the handstand. I mean, I, it, that just shows you the athletic ability of of, of, uh, of Eagle being able to do that. But uh, you know what, what? 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 I wanted to bring up there. What's the rhythm of the referee's count on some of these false finishes, as we call them? He's got a steady, even count. And then we'll show you at the end of it, you know, what, what the count was. So, the re hey, it's a referee named Earl. You can't trust Earl, any yeah. referee named Earl. It's Earl. Earl and Earl. This is Earl Mullahan or Monahan, uh, referee. Monahan, yeah. And of course, we're making fun of our dear friend, which we're not really making fun of him. He was, did what he we're was supposed to do. Comparison. <laughs> you, can see, you can see both of these guys' athletic ability. That they, they're, they're both escape out, out of holds and all this, but See, Earl, as he, as he drops in for a count, he's got that slow, consistent count. And that's right, John, that's what you want as a heel when you're on your back is, is that, that count that you you know that's a one. That's right, because you've got to be or able to. Or even a fast referee. We've had fast one, two, three. I mean, you know, at least you know the rhythm of the count. you got to be able to feel it. You know, George does a, a couple sit-outs here in a minute that are just 
amazing. It shows you what a great athlete he is. And as we said, you know, he, he and some of his formative years was spent in Iowa and, uh, as a as a as a uh, uh, junior wrestler, and uh, and you can tell that in here. And from what what some of the reading I had that that you know they had so much Kohler had so much confidence. Kohler actually told him to go out and beat him. You know, That's what Kohler said in his justice testimony. I, I don't know. I just wonder if Kohler. Justice. What's that? The Department of Justice, you were sworn not to lie to those guys. I wouldn't lie to those guys. <laughs> you trust Kohler not to lie? I don't trust anybody. I trust you not to lie to me because you're a real <laughs> But, uh, you know, they're just basically applying holding. Uh, uh, this is a TV match, and, uh, you know, so uh, they're, they're, they're pacing themselves and and but I want I want to want them, want the fans to watch the rhythm of count right there. There the one two. Now that's he's not counting fast at all. His hands you can visually see his hands go to one. Who are you waving at, George? Huh? And George just sells this move that is absolutely worthless uh, and makes it look legit. Uh, we're not we're not we're not campaigning for anybody to steal this move. <laughs> no, we're not. This is a horrible move. Horrible. It, it doesn't work. Nobody thinks it can work. And George is selling it for two minutes. Out more than he was born with as the announcer says. Tell me he's announcing the little hokey some of their, their, their saying. But, you know, in 200 years from now, they'll probably be saying the same about Michael Cole. <laughs> well, we could say that about Michael Cole now. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. We'll gladly say it about him. Don Eagle was was a young, good-looking, athletic guy. One of the articles, and you read it too, that you know they took advantage of him because he was just another Native American, just another. Yeah, Indian, that's right. You know, like. Uh, yeah, and they blamed it on him. Uh, he wanted to take time off to go hunting and fishing during the summer and during that, the hunting. That was fishing. part of his contract, you know. They, you know, they have. They brought up northern Canada also, you know, where his dad was, uh, he was a hunter and fisherman, just like a lot of, like, like you remember uh, uh, Mr. Perfect, Kirk, he wanted his time off to go hunting. When deer season come, he was going to get his week or so off to go hunting. Here's George. Look at these sit-outs. Even though they're working right there, that, that's hard to do. That's you know, hard to do because the guy's weight is all on you, and it don't look good if the guy's off to the side of you. But George, George was, was, had that athletic ability, and, and Don had to, had the knowledge to keep up with him and keep putting him in that position where he could spin. You know, and this is uh, something to bring up. You know, George was a pretty good athlete. When he did the stuff like that, it was to put his opponent over. Kurt Henning was the same way. When Kurt Henning would bump and do all this crazy stuff, it was to put his opponent over when he was a heel. And that's a big difference that a lot of mindset of young people have. They, when, especially when they're heels, they'll do their fancy stuff, their great moves to put themselves over. It's counterproductive when you're a heel. Yeah, John, this is something here. We, we watched Pat O'Connor's road around. This is, this was the second part of, of what I was, of what, what I was saying. Did somebody do that, that walk around that, uh, that, um, that Pat did and end up in a short arm scissor. You can do these rows around it in a minute here. He, he'll grab a short arm scissor and he'll roll completely all four corners around the ring there. 
It looks so sweet. And then they knew that if you're a heel, you can always crank up on the thing. I did it in the, actually did that uh, at short arm scissors and roll around during my Starcade match with uh, Young Blood and Steamboat, uh, first Starcade. And then after I finished the roll, I had Rick, I said, Ricky, can you pick me up? And he got under me, he squatted and then picked me up and suplexed me back and of course broke the hole there. But it was one of, one of the, uh, the highlights of the match. In my opinion, anyway. Yeah, because people aren't used to somebody being picked up like that. Uh, Backlund used to do the same thing because he was so just so freaking strong. That just takes strength to go over to be able to, to pick, pick somebody up. I was 220 at the time, and he just squatted me like I was nothing. But George, I mean, it's a typical typical match for its time there. You know, a lot of holds, a lot, a lot of back and forth. But you notice neither one of them are really pulling a lot of hair or pulling a lot of tights or, or healing or something like that. They're just being aggressive wrestling and, and working a little bit against the referee's orders. And George was one of the first heels to do stuff like that. Now, here we go. Now, this is where it gets confusing to me. Yeah, I agree. He goes, he, he was selling his eye. He goes out of the ring. We're not sure what happens. He's chasing somebody around the ring. And then you're going to see an edit. And the match starts up <laughs> in the next fall. They're saying that George hit his head on the announce table as he went out. If it had been Michael Cole, he'd probably kicked him in the head. He would have <laughs> but uh, Don hit his, hit his head on, on the way out. And uh, then he stumbled off into the darkness there at the arena. And, and this is the simplicity of TV too, John. There's two cameras. There's a ringside camera and there's a hard camera. You know, and you can't, you, there's no handheld where you can chase a guy out in the audience. Like, you know, we wrestle all over the building. No cameras can get to it now, but that's right. You know, the Von Ericks were one of the first, and, and you guys in Florida, one of the first five and six camera shoots. You know, before this is why wrestling was one of the first things to put on television, like a late night talk show with Milton Burrow, is because all you needed was really a hard cam and one other camera. It was easy to film. And cheap. Yeah, and, and cheap. <laughs> and there's Don Eagle with his dad, War Eagle, right? Yes. I guess he was pretty accomplished wrestler in his time, too. But Don, Don Eagle, it was, it was a rarity at that time for a Native American wrestler and he was one of the first really big time. And then the guys that he trained went on to become big stars like uh, like, uh, like uh, Two Rivers and some of the other guys that uh, he Sometimes things never change. It will out gouge there at Vince Hates. <laughs> and there's the typical baby face spot. <laughs> Firing up after the heel cheats. And bill him out. It's just funny the bill throws. You know, nobody lands flat. No. I guess because those rings were just so freaking hard. Oh man, that those rings that I, I came up and I watch this right here. We're, we're, we're going to talk over an important part here. Did you see that? There's one, two, then a pause, and a three. Yep. 
and his shoulder, if we uh, did shame that you know, they didn't have replays, but his shoulder were, to me was clearly up too. And Don Eagle's going crazy here. Yeah. Watching punch referee. Now, bear in mind, this is a, uh, a Golden Glove boxer, and he's punching the referee, and the referee didn't even go down. So, you know, that's that's really well. You know, was he working the punches when he was hitting the referee? Yeah, you're right, because Don Eagle could, could hit a defenseless referee and knock him out. He had 20 pro fights. That's why people thought Don Eagle might have been in on it. You know, he ripped his shirt off. That looks like a work. You know, might not have been. You know, maybe Don Eagle was just hesitant. But you look at George right after the, the, the bell. They went to raise his hand. He rips his hand down. But now, in fairness, so did Sean in Montreal. So if, if George was in on it, that's what he would do if he didn't want people to know he's in on it. But history will – the way history plays out, it looks like George was not in on it. Yeah, there was no celebration. There was, there was nothing. You know, I mean, it just – you know, and there's no – if you'll notice, there's no belt presentation. So – who came out the winner of this thing? Because there's there no no belt. Even though Eagle was was the AWA champion, the, the, he, and he just lost it, but it wasn't announced the title match. So was it a title match? That part we still don't know. You know because he wasn't presented, and he never, and they, he was never announced as the AWA champion. And the AWA title was never mentioned in the commentary. Never. You know the referee hauls ass out of there. Don Eagle's behind him. George is still in the ring. I think George is waiting for security to clean a lane for him because watch when he tries getting, to leave. And they're getting pelted with debris at this time too. And that's uh, you know, the ring announcer. He picks up the microphone and then he sets it down and he he gets the heck out of Dodge, you know, because he, he don't want to get get that stuff thrown on him anymore. And they're they're kind of what watch a guy watch a fan grab George's robe as he's stepping. Yeah. And you look at it. There, there's George's uh, valet yeah. going out first. There's and George ended up the worst. So George ended up with a split mouth, and you can yeah, see. Yeah, watch George as he gets right out of the there. ring. Yeah, right there. You're fighting your way out, and the cops are helping him get out of that. <laughs> so is it or was it? Was it or was it not? I say, I, here's what I believe. After reading everything that we've gotten and and seeing all that we've watched, watching all that we we watched. I think the only one in on it was Fred Kohler and the referee. Obviously, the referee was in on it because that count was so hokey and so bad. The referee was obviously in on it, and Fred Kohler was obviously in on it. I don't think George was, and I don't think Don Eagle was. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think either one of the guys in the ring was in on it. I, 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 I really strongly believe that the only two that, that could have uh, could have pulled it off is the referee and and and. Uh, and Fred Kohler and 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 Fred Kohler actually said, you know, because everybody was saying fast count, fast count. It wasn't a fast count. Yeah. It wasn't because there was that hesitation. He said that he even had the uh, which which later on uh, uh, Don Eagle was fined what at that time fifty thousand dollars for striking a referee. Was it that high? I couldn't remember how high it was. He was fined uh, around fifty thousand dollars, maybe in today's times, but. But they, they said they put a clock on the on the uh, on the film and timed it out, and there was a three second count. No way! No. I think he lied like crazy. I think what he did was he got one of the the commissioners to back him up if the Justice Department ever called him, and he made and he absolutely just lied about that. Yeah. There were there were no winners off of this except for Kohler, and Kohler actually didn't even. And, uh, and a few months later. 
the, the whole the whole premise of this thing was Kohler was getting uh, opposition in Chicago, and and the guy ended up with TV, and the guy was a non NWA member. Was it ABC TV or something like? Yeah, that? Yeah, he got ABC he got TV. ABC TV. The the board of directors, and and the board of directors voted him in as a member of 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 the NWA. So. You had coming up after this, you had Don Eagle against Thez. And this was not, I think this was not a colder promotion. Either way, it was going to benefit Shop and Half, the two guys that he was against in Chicago. That got canceled because of this. So that's why, obviously, this benefited Colder. Well, then George came back and wrestled Thez in Chicago and put him over in straight falls. You know, George didn't care to put guys over. George didn't have to win titles. George was drawing a ton of freaking money. He didn't that's, care. That's, he came back and put Fez over. But when Fez got put over, there was no mention of the AWA title. All right, that's a great point too. Uh, George's George did not need a title. You know, there's been a guy where well, we don't. The Rock didn't need a title. You know, there's a certain guys that are business. Sure, it's good to say you know, I, you know, maybe give them the title of one for former world champion or something like that. But uh, George was so popular, and it wasn't just Chicago. George was popular nationwide. I mean, we can go back and and, and chart um, the history of George. You know, he was he was up in uh, up in Oregon working working as, as a self there, and uh, nothing was happening. He wasn't over, you know. And then because he was he he was a, a wrestler, you know, <laughs> and not the flamboyant guy that he turned in to be there. So, I, I uh, think it was. Uh... In 19, I think around 1953, I may have my dates wrong, uh, but uh, the, the Joe D, the Joe DiMaggio, the captain of the New York Yankees, was making, I think, 105000 or something like that. Anyway, Gorgeous George made the same amount. Uh, now, later, Buddy Rogers said uh, Gorgeous George made $9 million in seven years. That seems like an exaggeration, but making 100000 a year then, that was more than any made, the best Major League Baseball player in the world was making. I mean, George was basically the highest paid athlete uh, in the world at that Not time only athlete i think he was the highest paid uh, uh citizen in, in in the united states at that time <laughs> it's unbelievable Ford, you know, that's why he didn't need a title that's why he didn't care i mean he come in and put fez over in two straight falls because he knew he had heat you know you hear so much about gorgeous jordan but one thing you've never heard is his 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 arrogance about doing business with people he didn't have any hang-ups on anybody he knew what he was. He knew he was an attraction. He was there to get guys over and help them draw money so he could make a return match and, and make even more money. So I never, in, in, in my career that spans back into the mid-60s, ever heard a bad thing about Gorgeous George had an ego where he wouldn't put guys over. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't work for certain promoters because they, they screwed him on his pay. But he never, he never refused, as far as I know him, like I said at the beginning of this, to realize how old it is. I, I, I shared a ring with a lot of these guys that, you know, that was on the tail end of their careers when, when, when George, George was, was active in the business. So I always heard a lot of talk about him and, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot of praise of George. And they, they, there were a lot of jealousy at that time, but you never heard that George was hard to do business. Yeah, and George was one of those guys, you know, that he brought in as an attraction and would come in and out of different territories, but they never wanted to put the NWA title on him, which might have been a really good idea. The guy had so much heat. 
but a lot of promoters did not like his effeminate uh, character. They thought it was something that was not right for wrestling and blah, 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 blah. Buddy Rogers said the same thing. He well, thought it was a cardinal sin. Buddy Rogers was labeled the same way there. You know, they were that's right. And Buddy Rogers later said George was just ahead of his time. So Rogers thought the same thing back then, but then later with history and a little bit, you know, bit of time lapsed, he said George was right. He said George was just ahead of his time. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you look at shooters, and shooters never mind doing silly stuff or non-shooting stuff. You know, Santino uh, from Canada, he was quite a shooter. I mean, legit. So good, he did all the hokey stuff. He told me one time, he said, you know, it's funny. I'm actually a guy that can wrestle, and I don't wrestle. And that's how I draw money. You know, George was the same way. George was a tough guy, and he played a sissy, you know, according to his character. But he didn't mind it because he was—he knew he was tough, and he was making a ton of money doing it. Yeah, it's, it's to me, too, and it's just tragic, you know, the way George's life ended, too, you know, as an alcoholic and, 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 and broke. His, a couple of the promoters out in L.A., uh, paid for part of his funeral and I saw the interview. Did you see the interview with his ex-wife, with his wife, his valet? I think I have, yes. I haven't seen it recently. Yeah, well, she, 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 she said, I'm sick of the guy getting the credit for it. He said, George's funeral was so elaborate. She said, they, they kicked in $2,000, $1,000 a piece. She said, the rest of it, I had to work double shift in the bar that was dying to to, uh, to to pay for the funeral expenses there. So it's just a tragic, you know, things like that wouldn't have happened nowadays. And, uh, you know, people would have taken care of George's expenses. Yeah, you know, George went back, I think, in around 63 or something, his Lord's last matches and did a hair match in the Coliseum. You know, by that time, he'd gotten fat. You know, he, he had problems with booze. And, by that time, he was way, way past his prime. Just kind of did it to make a little bit of money. You know, it was tragic. You're right. Because George would have been a guy, much like I think like Buddy Rogers, maybe even more so, uh, where he'd have been around professional wrestling for the next 40 years because he was so entertaining and so far ahead of his time. Yeah, and, and we've already talked about the influences outside the ring that, that, that Gorgeous George had. How about the influences in the ring that Gorgeous George had? The Ric Flairs and, and you know, even the Harley races. You can, uh, and a lot of those guys, you know, there's a lot of showmanship that George, and you don't have to find Gorgeous George Jr., Gorgeous George III, uh, Gorgeous George Grant. I mean, there, there was just a plethora of Gorgeous Georges after after he passed. And so he inspired and and and, and uh, was, was a big influence on so many of our guys in, in the business during the 60s and 70s, you know, just trying to get the rub and, and and then the bleach blonde, you know, just started getting more popular. You know, the Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, then the guy Hollywood blonde, and the Bollywood blonde. You know, you know George tried several different things. At one point, he tried dyeing his hair to match his robes, and it really didn't work. So he dyed his hair blue to match his blue robe, uh, pink to match a pink robe, red, 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 red robe. George tried all kinds of things, which well, me- nobody at that time was willing to try because people thought it was bad that he was playing a character like that. Well, let me tell you what he also did. He had a, he had a, a Cadillac and he had a special painted orchid. <laughs> and so gorgeous George Jr. 
bought him a Cadillac Eldorado, brought it to Briscoe Brothers Body Shop, and told us to paint it like Gorgeous George's Eldorado. Really? I said, what's that? He said, Orchid, don't you know? I said, no. So we painted our painter, said, you want me to paint that brand new Cadillac Eldorado Orchid? So we stripped that baby down, we painted it Orchid. It was the sweetest looking thing you ever seen, man. The toast of the coast, the human orchid. He was one of the first to have all the catchphrases. He's one of the first to have the great entrance. I mean, he was, George was really way, way ahead of his time. And Don Eagle, poor guy, I guess he was quite a businessman also. And uh, he ended his life uh, with a gunshot wound, uh, you know, later on in his life, I think in the, in the early 60s or mid 60s or sometime around yeah. there. I yeah, unfortunately. But he he had, he had some business deals that, that were on reservational deals, the thing, and he was he was he was actually a Mohawk Indian, you know, the, the tribe migrated. Uh, his 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 uh, branch of the tribe migrated uh, to Canada, where where things were better and and got more property up there, but. He was a legit legit Indian, and he trained he, the guys he trained. He only trained Native Americans, blood Native Americans that were, you know, he didn't, he, he wouldn't train anybody else, but he was a good businessman and he was in on, on a couple of reservation jobs that the tribe would give to him because it's Chief Don Eagle, you know, famous American wrestler and just the power of the TV, the, the, the opportunity he got, but a couple of deals started going south on, started going sour on him. And I guess the weight of, of it was just too much for him and he ended his life. Yeah, and you look at the fallout of this, nobody benefited from this except Kohler. You know, I guess the referee probably got a lifetime job from Kohler, but couldn't be used anywhere else. Nobody could trust it. But uh, Don Eagle, never they never recognized there was a title change. So Don Eagle lost the big match with Fez coming up in Chicago, but he got it back later. It did hurt him for a while. And George took uh, his place with Fez, did the job in two falls, never mentioned the title. George never talked about this his entire life. This was not a big deal to George. George, that's why I don't think George was in on it. Don Eagle wasn't in on it. I think it was just Kohler trying to get it uh, Shaft and Haft or Shaft or Schwartz, whatever his name was. The guy who had the ABC TV, he was running outlaw against him. George, that's George, the only George. one that was in on it. Yeah. Well, that just shows you that, you know, politics remain the same, no matter how many years we are. I mean, they're the same. Somebody's got something I want it, you know, and, uh, and, and and that's what this was basically all about. It was it was sharing talent, and it was trying to you know you be the the alpha dog here and 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 the business there. And there were that 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 that, that trio, that triplets that that didn't you know the other two guys wanted wanted their share too. Then all of a sudden, you know here, here's Sam over there in St. Louis, you know, and the results of this. Thing, and it, probably the only ones that benefit on it is the same ones that benefit on, on all, all, all the deals as a wrestling fan because they talked Lou into coming out of retirement who had retired much too early at that time. And uh, there were champions springing up all over. And uh, as we know, when you got a multiple world champions, who is the world champion? Well, that's one thing that Lou brought to the table was, was, was I'm the world champion. And so, uh, they talked to Lou into coming out, and he beat George, and he beat he beat for the AWA or what title or one one of the titles. That was the AWA, but it wasn't on the line. And then they got rid of that. But he came out later. He came out later, also, you know, in the match we went over last week in '61, 
uh, with Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers. So it got rid of all the the the, uh, the the titles that were floating around in other territories, and and was able when Thez came in able to put it under that one umbrella, you know. And and, and even Vince Senior was a member of the NWA, even though Vince Senior off of this match here, I think shortly after when when he got uh, got Bruno to uh, to win. Not shortly after that was after last that was after the Pat O'Connor Buddy yeah. Rogers. Okay. Yeah, this was when uh, I'm glad Vince... I got you on there because you're a hell of a lot smarter. Than that. <laughs> you know, in 1956 was the Justice Inquiry, and that's when Fred Calder did this interview that we're talking about. And after that, the New York Commission wouldn't let wrestling be called matches; they had to be called exhibitions. So, if you listen to some of the early WWF and WWWF tapes, they call the matches exhibitions, and that came off the 1956 uh, Justice Inquiry into the legitimacy of professional wrestling, but more importantly, it was about the monopoly that the NWA had. Exactly, exactly. And and and, and during that article, a lot, a lot of stuff that come out of that article was our old friend Jack Pfeffer that was supplying the information there. And that's the reason Pfeffer was outlawed, was blackballed from our business the way he was. And I know you're not supposed to use the word blackballed anymore, but he was he was he was he was thrown out of the NWA and never again associated with it, but he thrived on creating these uh, Gigi Rogers and a uh, hobo Brazils and, and, and guys. <laughs> right. Well, Mr. Briscoe, we did us another one. Uh, it's, it's amazing that we got through this one here, man. That is uh, obsolete as my, my equipment is here. One of the uh, greatest, uh, most iconic matches of all time, Gorgeous George versus Don Eagle in Chicago with all kinds of ramifications at stake and all types of uh, curiosity to this day about who was in on it and who wasn't. Guys and girls out there, do your research. And if John and I, actually, we don't mind being wrong. And I know we got some of our facts wrong. We're we're just like you. We want to know the truth out there. So if anybody's got any information that we uh, that we hadn't been able to dig up, I mean, we even traced the guy down in South America <laughs> to get some information from, and we, so we, we 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 left nothing unturned, in my opinion. But I know we missed something out there, so please inform us, please enlighten us. If if whatever our mistakes was, we're willing. We're not we're not grouchy. We're not we're not some of these other guys that do these podcasts. And, get all thinking about it we're we want to know we're wrong and i'm sure you'll tell us yeah please tell us leave it in we want to know where we were wrong and and what was the truth out of it yep and we'd love to correct it so leave your leave your comments uh in the comment sections or on our twitter we'd love to hear from you if you got any information or if you disagree with us or think something's wrong please let us know. We'd love to hear it. So, But thank you for joining us. This is Stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. Best of the best. Don't forget to like and subscribe for the world-famous Mr. Gerald Briscoe and myself, Bradshaw. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.